Hello and welcome to GMI, the Guitar and Music Institute podcast number 13, So You Want to Work in a Guitar Shop. With me today on the interview is Chris Cunningham, who is the manager of the Edinburgh Guitar Guitar Store. Guitar Guitar has been running for 13 years. Chris has got a huge amount of experience in running a store, selling guitars and guitars in general. I'm really looking forward to this interview. If you're interested in perhaps working in a guitar store, you're going to want to listen to this interview. But Chris also touches on his favourite guitars, places that he's been by working in the industry, and the people he's met. If you're listening to this episode on iTunes, please subscribe, and it would be great if you could leave us a review if you enjoy our podcasts. Also, please come over to the GMI website, that's the guitarmusicinstitute.com, to find out more about this and all our other podcasts as well as extra materials. Chris, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, I must admit, I think this is the first time we've ever had someone within the music industry who actually sells guitars. on, S- on selling, selling dreams and making, it, making your dreams come true. So is that really what you're doing? Oh, definitely, man, absolutely. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's great to see people coming into the store and uh, spending time selecting the right instrument for them and me being part of that special journey to somebody getting, you know, what can be like an, a real aspirational item in their life. So do you have, um, we're going to talk about how someone gets into your business and the nuts and bolts of that business. Okay. But just on a personal level, um, do you have specific guitars you really love? Yeah, I think every guitar player has got a guitar that they love, whether it's guitars that their icons have used or mates have had or something like that. You know, I've definitely got my favourites. And what would they be? Ooh, my favourite. My favourite guitar at the moment is my 1984 Yamaha SG3000, which just is uh, it's a guitar I've wanted since I was you know, 13 or 14 years old. Is that the one with the gold? Everything's gold on it? Yeah, it's all, it's all gold hardware and... It's real nice, sort of fancy abalone binding, and just a really nice. nice Does it have a sound block in it? That one? No, it doesn't. That's the two thousand. It's got right, okay. Um, when I was fourteen, so I, I went to the, I went to the normal school in the city, and I had a friend who went to a, sort of a, a private school in the city, and uh, he had, his family had a little bit more money than mine, and I had a Jim Deacon Strat and a little Samick amplifier, which cost seventy quid, and uh, my mate had a Yamaha SG and a Marshall half stack, and I, you know, I'd always, I was always wanted to have one. We were lucky enough last year to, to get one. Fantastic. So you are the manager of one of the most successful brands, I suppose, if you want to call it that, of guitar shops. Guitar yeah. Guitar started in 2004 uh, in Edinburgh, and we've sort of grown throughout the years to having seven stores, or six stores in the UK. So I remember when the store opened, mm-hmm. and when I heard it was going to be a guitar store, my immediate thoughts were, oh, here we go, another Mickey Mouse guitar store. Yeah. And then I went up uh, to the place and was absolutely gobsmacked. Yeah. And it reminded me of another store that used to be in Edinburgh called Sound Control. That's right. So I take it there's a link between... There is a brief link in the foggy rooms of time, but uh, Sound Control um, used to be owned by uh, two chaps from Dunfermline. And um, the old they, capital of Scotland. The old capital of Scotland. That's right. Yeah. So um, the 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 guys who own Sound Control um, went their separate ways in two thousand and two, um, and Kip, who you know initially started Guitar Guitar, um, we opened the doors there in two thousand and four in Edinburgh, 
uh, as a very separate thing. Um, you know, there, there was although there was a, a previous history with another company there. Guitar Guitar was set out to be, you know, a, a specialist guitar store. You know, essentially, obviously, was sort of lots of other instruments and things like that. Guitar Guitar was very clearly just guitars and basses developed for the specialist. What do you think is the, the, the sort of winning formula of Guitar Guitar? Because it has grown and, and it's it, it's just, people just love the place. What is it? In, in your I think it's a combination of things. I mean, you can't put your finger on one thing. I mean, obviously we've been, we have been um, lucky to catch the sort of uppers curve, curve of um, online sales. But at you know, it's sort of uh, bricks and mortar level, if you like. It's sort of, you know, the, the stores, rather than the, the online entity that's kind of grown arms and legs, it's at store level. I think it comes down to just being very selective about the staff, just making sure that the original sort of vibe of the store doesn't change. When we started off, there was one store, and it was a sort of local, you know, homegrown company, and we weren't part of a big chain. And, you know, companies, as they get older, people go, oh, it's part of a chain. You're like, oh, don't not go in there, it's part of a chain. I don't really see Guitar Guitar as being like that. Guitar Guitar is very clearly seven separate stores. And yes, we are part of that bigger group now, but each store has its own feel and its own vibe. And, you know, I think being selective about the staff coming in just allows you to keep the place feeling cosy and just, it's just got a real nice nice feel to it, you know? So we're, we're dodging around all over the place, but that's cool because most of the uh, interviews I do, Chris, go like this. So you were talking about staff and, and the pick of staff. This uh, whole podcast is about people who may want to work mm-hmm. in the retail sure. uh, sector of the music industry. Can you tell us what it isn't and what it is and what you're looking it's, for? Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a way to make a million pounds. You know, It's not a way to make a fortune in, you know, working in a guitar shop. You're not, I'm not doing it for the... For the, the money, you know, you do it for the love of the job. Would it be, uh, would I be right in thinking that a lot of people who maybe apply to, to work in a guitar store are maybe guitarists who think, well, I might make some connections? Possibly, and I think that does happen as well. I mean, we, you know, selling the guitars on a day-to-day basis is only part of the job. There are a lot of connections that you make. You know, I'm sitting here as a result of a connection that I've made, and you meet a lot of interesting people that sort of pull you in various directions outside working hours and you get involved in some quite interesting things and I do know guys I've worked with who have gone on to one of the guys I've worked with for example is now um, producing producing in Nashville Uh, other guys have gone on to sort of careers in audiovisual technology and things like that you do get as I say you don't do it for the love of the money you do it for the love of the job and there there is a sort of shelf life certainly with some people when they come into the, the musical instrument retail world that they will use it as a stepping stone to go into something bigger and better. And, and what is what is it really about, Chris? It's obviously about selling guitars, but what do you need to have to, to be a success in this industry? I think you need to have a, a love of the instrument, not just as a player, but actually have a love of the tactile nature of an instrument. And every guitar is, they're all different. They smell different, they sound different, they feel different. You need, you need to really get into the, the mindset. It's not just about being able to play a million notes a minute it's really about loving how, loving the instrument and really enjoying working with people you know you need you need to be engaged with people you need to um just sort of understand the way that makes some people tick and if someone's trying to get into the this business do they need to come with a lot of knowledge before they actually start i mean the makes and and all the different technical <sighs> no, aspects I, mean, I remember sitting with uh, having an interview in 2004 with guitar guitar and uh 
as much as I loved guitar, it wasn't something I knew an awful lot about. And I remember uh, Kip, um, the chap who owns Guitar Guitar, asked me to name the top three brands, guitar brands in the UK. And all I could think of was Yamaha, Fender and Gibson. You know, Were I, you right? I think I was right, yeah. <laughs> I think I was right, but I... Um, I didn't have a, a vast knowledge and I remember actually not long after I started with Guitar Guitar I got an A4 no- notepad and down the left hand side I wrote down as many guitar brands as I, as I could think of and I think I got three quarters of the way down the, the page. Then I did the same exercise two or three years ago having worked there since 2004 and uh, I was filling pages and pages worth of guitar brands and you know there's just so much information that you just sort of pick up over the years. I've got a question that I've often wondered, and I, I can't work this out, and it's it's kind of the question of the lost sock. Uh-huh. I've never, ever seen a guitar in a skip or in a field or by the side of the road, and yet they caught the, they're selling them to, you know, all the time. Where do they all go? Who knows? Have I, you ever wondered that? Who knows? I'd love to develop a scanner that I could attach to the underside of a helicopter. And fly over people's houses and just look down into their attics to see what they've got. Do you lying think around. that's where they all end up? Who knows, man? I really don't know. I mean, a lot of we we also deal in a lot of pre-owned guitars, and there is a, a big market for pre-owned guitars. But the amount of guitars we sell, you know, come Christmas time, and out of the guitars we sell that may be languishing and covered somewhere under beds or in attics. Who knows? But you're right. There's a lot of guitars just seem to vanish into the ether. Yeah, yeah, and it just keeps. So, are you saying that? The business is actually in terms of manufacturers, not not individual manufacturers, but businesses larger is growing. Uh yes, as in sales business or as in and just the amount of guitars out there and the range of guitars. I think out so. There. Yeah, I and mean, there, there's sort of uh, offshoots come from bigger brands. So you've obviously got sort of brands like Fender will produce brands like Sir because you know John Sir goes on to do his own thing, and you've got. You know, other guys will work for certain brands and they'll sort of branch off and do their own thing. Um, and obviously the sort of influx of guitars coming from the, the Far East as well has been um, pretty, pretty vast. You know, there's a huge amount of guitars coming from the Far East now that maybe didn't exist 10 years ago. Okay. I was, you said something and it made me think of something. So, uh, what were we just talking about? Influx of guitar, influx. increase in right, brands. Okay. So, Chris, you've been with Guitar Guitar now for 13 years. Come 13 right? years coming the 1st of June, yeah. What's the biggest differences that you've seen over that 13 years? I mean, the obvious thing is the huge increase of um, web business. When we first started, we didn't have a website. Now it's you know a huge percentage of the business. Um, is it a bigger percentage than the people no, walking No, definitely not. I mean, you know, I talk about bricks and mortar. Having, having the shop is always going to draw more people I'd like, like to think it will always draw more, draw more people on the web because as I said guitars are such a tactile thing okay you know amplifiers and effects pedals might be one's the same as the other but when it comes to a guitar people want to come and sit down and play it and hear it and get a real feel for it so I think that will continually drive people through the front doors so someone starting off in a guitar store doesn't need to come armed as you were saying earlier with thousands of brands. Yeah, sorry, I went a little bit off-piste when I was talking about that, didn't I? Um, no, I don't think that people need to come armed with a vast amount of knowledge because that comes through the job and I think it's important that people are able to engage with their customers and you know sort of understand what their needs are without having to know every nut and bolt on a Fender Strat. Right. And I'll be honest, still flummoxes me. I mean, all this... 
in phase, out of phase, all those buttons. Am I right in thinking that's maybe receding all that electronic stuff on the guitars as software amps? No. No? no. Still there. I, still I there. Think it me. I think it's still there. It flummoxed you, unfortunately, Jed. Um, I think that guitar players are very sentimental and they don't necessarily want technology you know, to get involved in their, their traditional guitars, you know, they're very sort of protective about, you know, the, the guitar has to be the same way it was in 1959 or the same way it was in 1962. It's very important that guitars don't, the guitar manufacturers don't forget about that. So are there some manufacturers that are trying to, you know, cut a new... Of course, of course. I mean, it, there, there's always going to be people... So are we getting to... a sort of divergence between almost like uh, the vintage and the new... I think there's always going to be manufacturers out there try and sort of reinvent the wheel slightly. I mean, obviously, you look back to the 80s and you had, you know, the Casio with digital guitars and you had, uh, you know, our own Scottish Bond Electroglide and you had sort of mad guitars that were just trying to push the boundaries slightly. You're always going to get that, but ultimately it comes down to wanting a strap that is like a 1962 strap or a Les Paul that's like a 1959 Les Paul. People don't want manufacturers. They don't want people messing with it. That's the way it should be. Yeah. You're listening to GMI, the Guitar and Music Institute. My name is Jed Brocky, and I'm in discussion with Chris Cunningham, the manager of one of Guitar Guitar stores in Edinburgh. And Guitar Guitar, Chris, can you just tell us about that? Because it's not just in Scotland, is it? It's it's a quite a big business. Quite a big business. Yeah, we started in Scotland in 2004, and then quite quickly branched to Glasgow, and then so over the the following years, we've gone to you know Newcastle, Birmingham, uh, two stores in London. But do you think Britain leaving the EU will have an impact on the way business is done and tariffs and all the rest of it? Um, or is it something that just isn't on the radar yet? I, I think the, the bigger picture is being thought about, but it's so difficult to predict what's going to happen that... It's not worth panicking about it just now. Just we'll, we'll see what how the lie how the land lies um, after the split happens. Cool. So, Chris, um, is is Edinburgh one of the bigger stores in terms of turnover and all the rest of it? No, no. I mean, Edin- Edinburgh is. Uh, you have league tables and things like that. No, no. no. <laughs> uh, I'm sure somebody's watching it somewhere, but it's not me. Uh, I mean, Edinburgh is. You know, it's probably one of the smaller stores now, to be honest. I mean, the, the store in Epsom is, is monstrous. You know, right. It's, it's four or five times the size of us. And the store in Glasgow um, isn't just the, the original store now. We've bought the stores, either, you know, we've taken on the stores either side of the original Guitar Guitar. So we now have Guitar Guitar Electric and Bass. We have Guitar Guitar Acoustic. And we have Guitar Guitar Digital. Now, the Guitar Guitar Digital handles uh, digital drum kits, electric pianos, and PA, that sort of thing. So you're going out with the guitar genre in that sense? Yeah, it's kept very separate. I mean, there is obviously a market for, there's a huge market for digital technology, mm-hmm. um, but it's kept very separate. So just so if you let the listeners understand what a manager, what, what does your job consist of on a, a daily or a weekly basis as a manager of a guitar store? Uh, I think it's like managing any business, it's uh, repetition, consistency, knowing when to step back. Uh, I mean, it was difficult taking on a manager role, having worked with the company for several years, knowing when to step back because you're used to doing so many jobs yourself. Being able to step back and delegate jobs is, is very important. So you have to learn to trust people. You d- yeah, you definitely have to learn to trust people. I mean, you have to learn that you know when you're not there for the, the, the when you're, you're on a day off or 
you got your back turned, you've got to learn that people aren't there. You know, people you've got to, you've got to trust the guys and to, to do the right thing. So before the uh, the interview started, Chris, you were talking as as a manager of one of the stores. You were talking about how, well, sometimes let's be honest, there's good benefits. You've been out to guitar plants in the Far East. Yeah, is that right? Could, we, could you maybe tell the listeners about that because it was fascinating stuff. Absolutely, and I was lucky enough not last year, the year before, to um, visit the Yamaha factories in China and Japan, um, which was a real eye opener. And really was just the manufacturing process was just mind blowing. Am I right in thinking they've got something, a uh, plant in Indonesia as well? They do have an Indonesian plant, yeah. So how does all that work then? Um, basically the Yamaha thing, it's research and development in in Japan, and they will make the machines to to manufacture the guitars in China and Indonesia. So they'll manufacture the machines, take them out to China, and the, the guys from Japan will train the guys in China how to use, um, use their machines. So, you know, theoretically, guitars coming out of Japan should be the ones same as the ones coming out of China, should be the ones coming out of out of Indonesia, um, although you know the the higher end guitars are handmade in Japan. You know the the the, the, the Yamaha SGs I was talking about earlier on are still handmade in Japan by a very small team of guys who are only making you know a few dozen guitars every every month. You know? Wow! Now there was something you told me because I've got one of those uh, Yamaha APX twelve hundreds. In fact, you sold me it. I did, many years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you were telling tell me something about a, a piece of equipment that you saw, which was frankly mind-blowing. Do you want to just uh, describe that to the listeners? Yeah, it wasn't just a piece of equipment. It's the, the pieces of equipment in the factory. Um, uh, Yamaha use a technology uh, that they call uh, Acoustic Resonance Enhancement, ARE, okay. uh, and a lot for acoustic guitars, which is mind-blowing. And I actually think they use it on their SGs and things as well, but mind-blowing. They're, they're basically... Uh, Finding a resonant frequency of the guitar, and they're they're vibrating at that resonant frequency, resonant frequency for fifteen or twenty minutes, and that's apparently aging the guitars by you know twenty years. It's a real mind blowing. So is that one guitar at a time, Chris, or is there more than one that they do it? No, they'll do it with with batches of guitars. And do you think it works? Um, under a guitar sound great. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's an interesting story if nothing else. But yeah, I mean, it, the guitars sound great. I've got to say, I've got absolutely no. Problems with Yamaha. I just love them. One of your favourite brands? Definitely, yeah. Definitely one of my favourite brands. Yeah. So why would that be? I, mean, um, I think because you're getting a really, really good quality guitar that doesn't have the same status attached to it. If you like, you know, you're sort of big, you're bigger brands. And I'm not saying you're, you know, I, I love Fender and I love Gibson and I love all these guys, but I just think there's a real honesty about Yamaha's product, the research and development that's gone into manufacturing their guitars over the years. The care and attention that they put into their their brand is really, really it's admirable, and I I love the I love their their end, end product. Any other guitar factory visits? Oh, who have I been to? It's in Germany a few years. I went to to, to a factory uh, that manufactured AER amplifiers, right? Sort of high quality German acoustic amplifiers. Uh, is that? Uh, do they not have a, a a place in Glasgow? They are distributed by a company yeah. called Westside. Because I remember phoning up Germany once, and they went. Ah yes, Glasgow, England. Really? <laughs> a, a distribution. <laughs> Maybe it'd be different now. So what was that like? It was good. Yeah, very small. I mean, I, but I think they've expanded since it was there. But it was a very small, basically as a unit in industrial estate just outside Dusseldorf, in a okay. little town called Recklinghausen. You know, they had like eleven people manufacturing this brand, and a guy was coming in part time to respray the cabinets, and it was really you know nice, very different to the Yamaha thing. The Yamaha things sort of multinational and. You know, it's a multi-multi-million pound company, oh, AR, but a much smaller... You know, industry. I used to have an AR, and I don't mind saying it, it always, the sound always kind of compressed for me. 
Really? Yeah, I, I just... I think maybe they work better with different pickup yeah. systems and guitars. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You've seen a lot of changes over the last 13 years. Do you want to describe some of those changes? And where do you think guitar sales are ultimately going? And maybe even guitars, Chris, because mm. if anyone knows about guitars, it's you. Yeah, and well, I've seen certainly improvements in quality control over the years. I, mean, I remember when I first started playing guitar, um, in fact, I probably came to you with the guitar I had when I first started playing, I had a, a Jim Deacon Strat. It was a, it was a nice little guitar, but that was 20-odd years ago. And, you know, the quality wasn't fantastic, but I think now in the UK especially, the overall quality control has really, really improved. You know, that's, that's changed. And as I said earlier on, the pattern of people buying not just guitars, but amplifiers and effects has shifted. More and more people doing so online. You know, people are very aware of the, the money that's in their pocket and they want to spend it as wisely as possible. So are people buying guitars directly off the internet more and more? More, they more they are it? they are more and more, absolutely, yeah, definitely. Well, what do you think about that, buying um, a guitar without even playing it? I think, you know, every guitar is different, and especially with acoustic guitars. Yeah, I mean, it's great to be able to pick one up and play it, and they all sound different, and they all smell different and feel different and that sort of stuff. So it's, a, it's such a tactile thing, maybe buying it on online... It's not the way I'd personally do it, but I can understand why people do. Maybe they don't have time to come into the shop. And as a retailer, we need to make sure that our prices are as as keen as possible. There's a lot of competition out there now, so yes, we want people coming into the store. But if people are going to buy the guitars online, we want our prices to be as keen as possible. And I'm always open to people coming saying, "Oh, well, I can get X guitar cheaper elsewhere. What can you do?" And I'll help them out and I'll match prices and things like that. If you're a beginner guitarist, Chris. Is there a brand or brands that you would recommend for people to seriously consider for their young ones? I think so. Or I mean, many of their old ones. It's, it's difficult, you know. As a as a retailer, I think it's it wouldn't be right of me to be you know to have favourites because guitars and music and sound it's also such a subjective thing. So what's my favourite and it might not be your favourite and one thing's right for one person and maybe not for another. Uh, and there, there's as a beginner, there's certainly brands that I would recommend. And at price points, and you've obviously got Squire, who are you know, uh, you know a subsidiary of Fender. Um, they manufacture excellent you know, Strat tele replicas at an affordable price. On the flip side of it, you've got Epiphone, who are made under license by Gibson. Uh, they'll offer an, a Les Paul special or or something like that. At, you know, at a budget price, hundred and fifty pounds thereabouts. Um, and then you've got your Yamaha Pacificas. We're talking about Yamaha again. Yamaha Pacificas. Actually, Jed's got one sitting next to me here. Uh, Yamaha Pacificas. You know, if you're taking a step up the ladder, the Yamaha Pacificas maybe the one to look at. And you've got all these other brands there as well who all offer a budget type guitar. Jackson have got a great guitar out just now. Uh, Ibanez have obviously got the Geo range, which are excellent value for money. Um, are you saying you can't go wrong basically nowadays it's difficult it's horses for courses really you, you know if you want a pointy metal type guitar you're probably not going to buy a Squire Strat you might buy yourself a Jackson mm-hmm. if you're wanting something that's more traditional you might buy yourself a Squire Telecaster and not buy the Jackson you know, it's, I would say the quality control overall is excellent in the UK at the moment if you want to spend 150-ish pounds there's not a lot of bad guitars certainly in Guitar Guitar I don't know what everyone else is selling but within Guitar Guitar you know, we've obviously been through the mill. We've found out you know, what makes some guitars good, what makes some guitars bad. There's a lot of experience within you know, the store. And I think in Edinburgh, just now we were talking about this the other day, in Edinburgh, if you add our staff up together, and there's, what, eight or nine of us just now, there's 130 years' worth of experience. So we know wow. good guitars from bad. 
and there's no point in stocking bad guitars because it's just going to come back to us again. So we make sure £150, you're going to get the best guitar £150 can buy you. And what is the uh, the big difference between a £150 guitar and a £1,500 guitar? Or is it all just in the head of the individual? Well, we're talking a lot about electric guitars here. I think in electric guitars, the obvious things are, um, you know, there's obviously American manufacturer to take into account or, you know, overseas manufacturers, Far East manufacturing is a lot cheaper. But in general, the components the American guitars are using, the attention to detail, um, the lacquer, you know, just the way the guitars are put together and feel and sound, you can tell the difference in quality. I mean, even as a beginner, you can tell the difference in quality between the £150 guitar and the £1,500 guitar. In acoustic guitars, you know, obviously, if you're spending £150 on an acoustic guitar, you're looking at something that's probably going to have a laminated top. At best, you'll have a solid top. You know. So what, what's a laminated top, Chris? Uh, a laminated top is the top of the guitar that's got the hole in it. It's plywood with a veneer across the top. So the problem with manufacturing, I say a problem, it's not a problem. The downside to manufacturing a guitar with a plywood top may be that the layers of ply, you'll find microscopic glue bubbles and just little imperfections between the layers of ply that affect the resonance of the guitar. Because 80% of the sound of the guitar is coming from the top resonating. If you've got a solid piece of wood, be it spruce or cedar, it's like having a better quality speaker in your hi-fi. It's just going to project the sound more. It's going to be a more balanced sound. Once you're starting to spend £200 and more, you're getting that sort of solid topped guitar. Once you're up to £500 and more, you're maybe getting a guitar that's got a solid back and sides as well. So you're going to get rosewood or mahogany or something like that. And then, you know, once you start to spend more than that, you're into the realms of sort of, you know, the American brands, your Taylors and your Martins, and you're getting better quality hardwoods. You're getting electrics in the guitar. It's coming with a hard case. You can spend as much as you want to spend and on acoustic guitars, really, and you know, you'll get some really f- special acoustic guitars. You've got a couple of thousand pounds to spend. You get some real special stuff. And I've got a, a Moon Dreadnought built in gla- handmade in Glasgow. You know, Jimmy's only doing you know, seventy guitars a year or something like that. It's a real special guitar, Indian rosewood back inside, Sitka spruce top, ebony board. The more you spend, the better the guitar gets within reason. That is really interesting. But you're mainly talking about acoustic there. Is there a different sort of Upward pointing graph for electrics. I think so. I mean, an electric guitar manufacturer. Uh, be careful how I say this. I don't want to offend any electric guitar manufacturers. But I think there's a there, there's a more simplistic way of doing it. It's easier to get a cheap electric guitar that sounds like a great electric guitar, expensive electric guitar, than it is to buy a cheap acoustic guitar that sounds like a, an expensive acoustic guitar. I think a tip I'd give you when buying an electric guitar is to sit down with it and, you know, have a think about how, how does the action feel? How does the neck feel? You know, how, how did it pick up sound? If you're, you know, if you're buying into the sort of, um, the custom-made guitars, you know, you've got to sit down with it and really try it and try a few and, you know, you'll find one that, that suits you. But I'd say there are some fantastic value-for-money electric guitars in the market without spending two or £3,000, you know, five or £600 will get you some really, really good Electric guitars. You know what? I, I've never understood why guitar chains don't have the blindfold test. When you can put a blindfold on yeah. and you can basically try 10 guitars and you say the one you like the best, then you find out how much it costs and yeah, what it's named. Yes, yeah, uh, well, so maybe that's not a great idea sometimes. Not from a retailer's point maybe of view. Maybe not, no. You don't just sell guitars. You, you've got a wide range of amps and effects. As popular as ever, specifically 
physical effects because are you finding with all this deluge of apps and software that it's having an effect on an effect an effect on effect uh, I, I, I no I don't think so I mean, there's the there's, there's, there's always the next generation of the multi-effect pedal coming out how do they keep doing that Chris because we all just use four patches. Yes, there, I mean, there's, only, there's only six or seven pedals you really want. I mean, let, let's go through. What pedals do you need? You need a well, wah pedal. Yeah. A your, tuner. Yeah. Chorus. Some, some volume. Yeah. Chorus. Delay. Uh, a delay. Uh, reverb if your amp's not already got it. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of things like loopers and things added. But yeah. at the end of the day, there's only six or seven pedals you actually exactly. need. Exactly. Um, and let's face it, some of it is so, you know, if you put a... a Quite a lot of chorus and a bit of delay on it. You sound like something in the eighties, right? Well, that's true. Which yeah. is brilliant because I like that sound. But it's, it's, that sound is in just now as well. Is it? Yeah, yeah. The eighties are back, man. You see, folks. Yeah. He can tell me how to get cooler. <laughs> the, but the other point is, I was, I was listening. I don't know who the band were, but the guy was using a, a trem effect. Uh huh. Tremolo. There's another one. Yeah, and that's yeah. coming back in. It's just yeah. like it's sixties. Yeah. I know. It's like it's like women's fashion. Uh huh. They uh-huh. just keep. Reinvent that. Regurgitate it. Do you think well, they pay these I new groups know. to actually so, push was, a pedal? I was saying this to somebody the other day that uh, I'm a big fan of wearing jeans and a checked shirt and I find if I do that all the time I'm in fashion every 10 years. That's right. It's, it's a clock's always right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I was going to say about you know the, the constant tone chasers. That, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there who are just constantly searching for the... You know, that, the Is that because they're musically inadequate? No, I don't think so. I think they're just, they're just constantly searching for the, the right tone and you know, a guy will come in with a big bag of single effect pedals and he say, listen, Chris, man, I, I really want to buy the new Line 6 Helix and I want to trade all my effects pedals in. Line 6 Helix, by the example, is a phenomenal piece of yes, kit. Yes, I've actually, believe it or not, seen the Oh, so, so good, man. I mean, there's nothing it can't do, but it's, you know, people will come in... Can it play the guitar for you? It can play the guitar. Maybe a cup of coffee or something like that, or <laughs> massage your feet gently. Now you're talking. Yeah, uh, uh, but I mean, it's a, an awesome piece of kit. But guys will come in with a big bag of pedals and say, Chris, man, like, I really want to trade my pedals in for the latest multi-effects pedal. And you'll tell them they're not worth anything. No, I'll say, absolutely, man. I'll give you good money for them, but I'll see you in six months when you come back with your multi-effects pedal to buy all the individual pedals back. Uh-huh. And then you go on a whole other journey, and then it ebbs and flows. Or, you know, one minute they want multi-effects, one minute they want individual pedals. And I've seen guys like that for years and years and years who are just going, they're searching for that right tone or something that's easy to use. They don't want to take a big effects, a, a pedal board along a gig. They want to come go along with their new boss unit, which has got all their presets and they push number one and everyone comes to life. You know what, Chris? I don't use pedals much these days. I still have my Roland VJ8, which is trustfully sitting there in the corner. Mm-hmm. I want shrink-wrapped sounds. You know, uh-huh. um, I'm not, when I just... Life's too short, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure you come across a lot of guys who actually want to edit till the cows go home. I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, uh, we had a, a chap in the store last week. We were doing an in-store clinic with uh, Andy James, who's uh, an awesome ESP in Dorsey. And uh, his tone comes from a, a Kemper rack profiling, a profiling, a profiling amplifier. Sorry, put my teeth in. Uh, a Kemper profiler. Uh I mean, the Kemper stuff is, again, amazing technology. Um, but his attitude was, like, he'll come in and he'll plug in a, straight into a PA when he's doing his master classes and he presses the button that gives him his preset and that's the sound. There's no messing about, setting up pedals, tweaking things. and It's just you press the button and that's your sound. And technology is at a state now when, you know, you can use something like that and, you know, to the untrained ear, it's pretty close. 
Do you ever get the scenario, and this happened to me probably about 15 years ago, where people actually come in and say, I want to sell all my pedals because I just want a clean, clear sound. Well, clean and clear. Does anybody do clean and clear these years? You're a jazzer, so you probably want clean and clear. Yeah, but I also do acoustic work. I like the sound. And what uh-huh. I'm trying to say to you is, it's not just jazz that I do. Mm-hmm. And I really love the sound of an acoustic instrument or a clean mm-hmm. You know, guitar sound. Yeah, I take it by by your reticence. You don't get that. No, it, it, even if it did happen, did. you wouldn't want no, that. No, not at all. Not at all. I'm not all about the heavy overdrive. To be honest, these days I play mostly acoustic guitar rather than mm. electric. In fact, I can't remember the last time I plugged an electric guitar in in anger, other than in the shop. Mostly acoustic and folk, but you. Yeah, I mean, obviously acoustic amplifiers. You want it to be nice and clear. Uh, electric guitar amplifiers. Yeah, and we do get guys coming in who are wanting that sort of big, loud, clear. Fender twin type glassy crystal clear tone. We also get the guys in who want the face melting distortion as well, which is quite good. Uh, do you think the amplifier trade, Chris, is a bit like the effects trade? I mean, how do they manage to keep selling stuff? I mean, it's basically amplifying a good. The one thing that I do think is amazing is the growth and the the actual development of battery operated amplifiers. Uh-huh. Now, that to me seems a truly worthwhile. A new, you know, yeah. you can carry it anywhere. Yeah. How did the all the other amps though? Uh-huh. How do they manage to keep flogging the same stuff? I don't think they do keep flogging the same stuff. And there, there, there is, you know, your listeners on the other side of the pond will know. The listeners worldwide will know about the, the Nam show that happens in California in January. I mean, that's when all you know, the whole world of music instrument retail, you know, the trade go along to to find out about what's happening, what's new for this year. Isn't most of the things that are new is a retro feel amp from 1960? Well, everyone everyone wants something to sound like something from 1960-odd or whenever, but I mean, the, the, you're sort of um, real movers and shakers in the sort of uh, the home practice amps and, you know, multi-effects type amps. You've obviously got Line 6, and we're doing a lot of business with Blackstar these days, and Fender have got the new Mustang GTs out, and there's all these guys who, they, they've got to be seen to be doing something new. And they're all one year one will be good, one year or next, and they're all they're all leapfrogging each other in terms of the the quality and the sound that they're producing. You know, a few years ago it was all about Line Six. You know, the recently it's all about Blackstar, the new Blackstar ID cores as a practice amp. It's just like you know, it's it's almost unbeatable. It's such a good sounding amplifier. Um, the technology that they're using for their, their their chips to produce the the delays and the modulation and things like that is just like so good. I mean, it just sounds so crystal clear. And then, you know, who knows, next year someday I'll be out with something else that leapfrogs Blackstar. So they've got to keep trying to outdo each other. Are you a solid state or tube man? Uh, at the moment, I'm a, I hate to say I'm a solid state man. All right. Yeah. And why is that? Just because of the uh, what it offers Because you? I've got a house that my neighbours would not enjoy me playing uh, a big loud valve amplifier in. Right, okay. <laughs> and there's no, never that pesky thing. I remember a gig I was on many years ago where I was lent an amp. Mm-hmm. And I took it in, and as I put it down, one of the valves broke. Oh, there you go. If you're one of those listeners out there, no matter where you are in the world, and you've had that experience, I'd love to hear from you because <laughs> it can be nothing worse. Yeah. You're ready for the gig, yeah. and it actually breaks, and there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. That's but it. you know what, Chris? I've never really been one who cared what the amp was. Right. Except there was once I had a Fender amp. And it must have been around 1992 to 94. Uh-huh. 
and I had this and I had to sell it at the time and I always regretted it. It was just magical. Uh-huh. It was like crystal. Yeah, yeah. The lows were low uh-huh. and the highs it was just yeah beautiful. I think an amplifier. Did it still make like that? Fender make definitely, man. That Fender makes some fantastic amplifiers. You know, one of the amplifiers I was really surprised about recently. I mean, I've I've always had an admiration for Marshall amplifiers, as everybody does. But one of the amplifiers I was really surprised about recently was the current generation of DSL hundred head. You know, they've been around for a long, long time, but I'd sort of forgotten about how good these things actually were. Now they're not hugely expensive, but we uh, put on a show in the caves. Oh, last month where's the caves caves is in sorry caves in, is in Edinburgh folks uh, we put on a show in the caves which is a lovely venue in Edinburgh and we were lucky enough to have Paul Gilbert along uh, did he have his power drill he didn't have his power drill okay, he didn't okay. have his earphone things on either but anyway uh, Paul Gilbert came along to do a master class and Paul had asked for a Marshall stack so we gave him a Marshall DSL 100 with a, a 412 cab and honestly the sound was just like unbelievable for a setup that costs you know Maybe twelve hundred pounds for the head in the cab, but for not an awful lot of money in the grand scheme of things, it was such a good sound, and it's always one of these amplifiers I'd sort of forgotten about. I'm you know very lucky working in guitar guitar. We do a lot of different brands, and we do a lot of sort of boutique stuff, and we've got Bogners, and we've got Friedman, and we've got pretty decent stuff. And the Marshall had almost sort of like slipped into the back of my mind, but you know, for if you're looking for a good gigging amplifier that's not going to ruin your wallet too much yes. uh, seriously the, the Marshall DSL series is just mind blowing where do you think all this technology is do, do you have any insider track on where on the next big things that are happening in amplifiers and effects or is it more integration with the internet and the ability to store and save and uh, no I mean there's always going to be the companies out there who pioneer the digital technology but I honestly just for the, certainly for the foreseeable future don't see the the valve amplifier going away. You know the traditional Strat, Tele, SG, Les Paul style guitars just seem to constantly sell. Okay, Chris, I've got uh, some questions now for you. Oh dear. What is the dearest electric guitar you've ever sold? And what was it? I personally didn't sell it, but it came through our hands and was eventually sold in our Glasgow store. It was a nineteen sixty two. Fiesta Red Strat in really nice clean condition. I think we got thirty grand for. Wow! Mm. And that was was that a buyer in Scotland? No, that was a buyer in Spain. I wow! Went, actually, yeah. So how? So you just put it on the internet that you went had this? up on the line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they, they bought it unseen. Bought it unseen. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I actually had a chap in the store on Saturday with a nineteen fifty nine Les Paul burst. I can I can hear the drilling on. Yeah, right. Real. I mean, that's that's to be honest. That's only one I've seen in in real life. You know, other than in, yeah. in the books and the magazines. Nineteen fifty nine Les Paul. Uh, and to top it off, the guy then breaks the news. Not only does he have that one, he also has another one: a fifty eight, a sixty, and a fifty two. <laughs> <laughs> right, a bit of a, a thing going on there with him. What's the most expensive acoustic guitar you've ever sold? Um. What's the most expensive acoustic guitar I've ever sold? That's a good question. We had a lovely um, Loudon went recently, which was just under nine thousand. Uh, we've had some really nice Martins come and go as well. We had a, a lovely Martin um, Dreadnought. I can't remember exactly what model was. That was about ten and a half. 
We did have some guitars in the wall for a while made by a chap down south called David. I've actually, he's from Perth, but he was working down south. Perth, Scotland, that is not Perth, Australia. Uh, he was working down south. David Anthony Reid, who was making some really, really special guitars, roughly 10 grand's worth, but they were really, really, you know, works of art. So guitar and guitar do sell or stock bespoke guitar makers? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I encourage it. We've got, uh, you know, I mentioned Moon earlier on. Um, Moon guitars are manufactured in Glasgow by a chap called Jimmy Moon. Very small family-run company. Um, very bespoke. And we've got sort of Moon guitars. We've we've done Patrick Eggles guitars uh, in the past. Alistair Atkin, we've had a lot of Atkin guitars come and go. George Loudon from Belfast. I mean, George Loudon guitars are just like phenomenally well-made. Yeah, yeah. So here's another question for you. I kind of guess what your best kind of customer would be. Someone who's going to splash the cash. Mm -hmm. What's the worst type of customer? Um, The ones that ask me to do podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Other than those. Uh, I don't know. It's difficult. Oh, come on. No, you do do meet some interesting characters. Um, We we have had some interesting characters have come and gone over the years. Um, Is there people that always nearly buy a guitar... They don't quite. Oh, there's always the guy who says, oh, yeah, I really love that guitar. I'll be back next week and they'll come and try it again next week and they'll be back the following week and the following week. And eventually he comes in with the cash, you know, we're six weeks long and he comes in to buy it and it's sold. You know, <laughs> exactly. and I, I keep you saying, see that a lot? Oh, I see it all the time. I, my, my, I always say to them, you know, if you snooze, you lose. You know, that, that's the way it goes. But, um, I mean, it's like, it doesn't matter what you do in life. If you're dealing with lots and lots of people all of the time, you're always going to get some people who are slightly more difficult than others. Um, I wouldn't say they're the worst kind of customers because it keeps my day interesting. So, Chris, just as we come to the end of the interview, can you just outline again the sort of qualities you would need if you want to to pursue a career in music retail? Um, I think it's important that you realise you're not going to make a vast amount of money out of it. It's not about the money. It's about the enjoyment of the job, the people you work with, the customers that you deal with, and having a real love for um, music and musical instruments and just, just really... Understanding, you know, way that, the, the way that sort of musical instruments work, you know, like, I mean, really, as it's their guitars are a really, really special thing. And although I'm maybe not playing as much now outside working hours as I possibly should be, I really, have, I really do have a sort of a deep love for the guitar as a as a thing. And, and that, to be honest, Chris, really has come over strongly this evening. Um, how much you do love guitars, because I, I just sometimes wondered if you're around them all the time. You know, does it just familiarity breed contempt? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I'm not lying. I mean, I've been doing this for so long and sold so many guitars that, you know, when the, when a new Gibson Hummingbird comes through the door, I don't go rushing to the case to open it up. And a new Les Paul comes in, it's not like, oh my God, it's a Les Paul standard. And I would have been like that, you know, 20 years ago. But there's still, every day throws surprises. You know, I was telling you about the guy with the 1959 Les Pauls and I had another guy in the other day that had a, 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 an old 60s Les Paul custom Black Beauty and things like that. It's like, wow, these things are just like phenomenal. You know, they really are. The Les Paul standards and things like that, we, we have a lot of them, you know, so maybe that sort of wears off slightly. And I remember when I was about 15 or 16, I saw a black and white photograph of Keith Richards playing a hummingbird. He had a cigarette hanging out his mouth and he looked really cool. You know, he's a young Keith Richards. And I thought, man, I've always wanted to play a hummingbird. The first hummingbird came into the shop in 2004 and I opened up the case and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Now the hummingbirds come and go and they've kind of lost their, their shine a little bit. But every day throws surprises. I remember, um, just before I ask you uh, the final question, I remember when I was 
15 or 16 years old, I used to come down from school and I would walk past a music shop in an area of Edinburgh called Tocross. And that mu- music shop is no longer there. It's like Grant's music, wasn't it? It was Grant's yeah, music, yeah. well done. And I remember they had, I think it was a 25th anniversary Strat in the window. Mm-hmm. So that we can pinpoint exactly the year. I, I don't know when it was. I was around, it'd be around 1980, 1981, I don't, uh-huh. I don't know. Um, maybe you could write in the folks if, if you know the year. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just remember standing there, looking at that Strat, totally bewitched. I don't own a Strat now. Uh, I did for many years, but if uh, it's the it's the one guitar that for me I just love the sound and I love the look. But interestingly, I was in the Edinburgh University's Museum of Ancient Instruments. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And there's two sections. There's one up a place called Bristol Square, and there's one down at a place called the Cowgate. You would walk past this building, folks. Mm. If you're ever in Edinburgh, check it out. And if you look in there, you'll see some ancient, hundreds of years old Scottish lutes and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I could not believe it. They look like a Fender Strat. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, Fender, oh, those are our, those are our shapes. Uh, eh, no, they're not, actually. Uh, They've uh, been around for a lot longer. Uh, but I just love that. It's just something about that shape. So anyway, rather than me blethering on, Chris, because this is about you, final question for the, the, the listeners. Um how does someone apply to get into do they have to, to the business? Do they have to write into what, what into the guitar? Guitar. We advertise uh, our positions on our website, which is www.guitarguitar.co.uk. Um, there is a, a job section off the website. If anyone was keen for work, working for the company, certainly look online there, or uh, you know, drop drop us an email Edinburgh at guitarguitar.co.uk. Drop us an email. Um, there aren't any positions in Edinburgh at the moment, but company-wide, you know, obviously we've got a lot of stores in the UK now, and uh, uh, who knows what could come up. And it's not just selling guitars, and we've obviously got a marketing department now, and we've got uh, guys doing web development, web content, so there's a lot of people work for the company, and there's a lot of positions may become available. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Thanks very much for talking to GMI. Not a problem. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GMI podcast series. I hope you enjoyed it. That's the end of episode 13. We've got more podcasts coming up very soon. Please subscribe if you're on iTunes or Stitcher or any of the other download sites that we're on. Of course, you can also find out more materials from the Guitar Music Institute website. That's GMI website at guitarmusicinstitute.com please check out our Patreon link, which is on the Guitar Music Institute website. GMI has a Patreon page with further offers and all sorts of goodies to give away, and in return we'd asked for your support. So please consider checking out our Patreon page. Look forward to having your company on the next podcast.